0: Visit CareerBuilder.com.
1: A warmer up from Welcome to Love you Las Vegas for Costa to Coast with myself, Greg Gibbs pierce and now a part of the VEASAN family podcast, We've got a great podcast for you, Tristan Freeman. He does absolutely tremendous work at Fanside. It's coverage of college basketball, bus, and brackets. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to talk a little bit about the hierarchy of power in the Atlantic 10. On top of that, we are going to be having some nice chatter about where Oregon State now goes, that their main low-post player in war with Alatishe, has decided that he is going to be playing pro elsewhere and just... What this means for the Pac-12 in general, obviously, where with all the T shirt was well, not going to be the difference between Oregon State being able to make or miss the NCAA tournament, but Oregon State goes from being really bad to now really, really bad. It's Oregon State perhaps paying for these sins of being able to make a deep run, and what does wind up happening to some of these teams that make a deep run, and they just can't follow up on it? What winds up just being the outlook for them? Sometimes it can lead to a bad situation, like right now, Oregon State dealing with an albatross of a contract that has been presented to Wayne Tinkle. So we're going to be diving into that topic of chatter. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a roundup as to everything we saw in college basketball over the last 48 hours. Cut the podcast just a tad bit short yesterday since I was doing the Greg Peterson experience, which is now five days a week on v If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at june underscore 81. Keep in mind, let us see them. Amy does not matter as per usual please send these into the timeline the other way it is via an Apple podcast review if you're in this podcast five stars it is very much appreciated from there you're fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review do not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today but we've got a great chat coming up next with Tristan Freeman of and Brackets right here on Coast to Coast Sleeps with myself Guy Gusey and now part of Lisa's family podcast
4: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: What's up? I'm John Wall.
4: And I'm CJ Toledana, and we're starting a
5: new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari.
0: We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky, they're saying cows are busted, can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater.
7: And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
0: What's up? I'm John Wall.
5: And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
8: You buy Toyota Dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Hey, we're back to we'll Las Vegas because he's with myself, Greg Expears, and now a part of the V Family Podcast. It is always great to get this guest on the show as Tristan Freeman. He does amazing work covering the game of college basketball over at fan site it's college basketball coverage site of busting brackets he's a man that is based out there in the northeast part of the country more specifically the state of pennsylvania taking a look at things from a local perspective as well as a national perspective and to be able to follow tristan on twitter that is at hoopsnut 351 altogether and tristan it is always a pleasure my friend thank you thank you for having me on greg
9: appreciate it
1: Tristan, we're seeing a little bit of news right now in college basketball. Things seem to have died down ever since you wound up seeing just the madness in general that wound up pursuing from Keontae Johnson going to Kansas State. From there, you wind up seeing Western Kentucky, you wind up getting Emmanuel A. Cott, wound up having a big trickle-down effect. But when it comes to what we wound up getting on Friday, really the big piece of news that we did wind up receiving is the fact that Warpath T.J., main low post player for Oregon State, He's decided that he is not going to be returning to Oregon State, and he is going to be going to play pro. And I think that it's just a little bit of an indictment on some of these bottom feeder teams in the Pac-12. I'm not talking about the two teams that are going to be leaving for the Big Ten within the next few seasons, along with, like, Oregon. I'll even throw on their Washington State. I think that they're doing a little bit of a better job. But we notice a lot in the offseason. Mid-range talent from the Pac-12, even a guy that was at Oregon, Eric Williams, Jr., Decide that they will go to, shall we say, lesser schools. This is a case in which I'll teach today. He's just going to be playing pro basketball in general, certainly not at the NBA level are deciding to bolt. And I think that it's just been really a rough season for the Pac-12 in general. I'm not sure what your thoughts are overall on the conference, but I just take a look at the state of the Pac-12 and you've got your main flag bearer teams. Obviously Arizona is one that I've yet to mention. They did a solid job in the transfer portal, in my opinion, but I just take a look at the Pac-12 in general. And really other than your top three to four teams, it looks like it's going to be the same old, same old from the rest of the conference where you've got the stop teams and then you've got the teams that just, are not putting up much of a fight.
9: Look at top half of the Pac-12. They're they're mainly you know operating on their program prestige and their sort of high status nature. Like you, UCLA, Arizona, Oregon, and them. You know they're doing fine with recruits and getting guys they need. But for rest of these programs, it, they're just struggling to gain traction. You know if they get make one step forward. They end up taking one to two steps back. And Oregon State's a great example of this. T. Tshay was their best returning player. And considering how awful the team was last year, they end up losing their two best guards, Deshaun Davis and Eric Lucas. Now they don't have a front court. They have uh, transferred Demetri Rooney from San Francisco, but he was sort of the third or fourth best player last year. And he's now basically their entire front court. They're going to hope that the freshman class steps up for them. But the Beavers, are now in a position where they can be just as bad as last year. And I didn't think that was possible. And considering they have to surprise an NCAA tournament run that. And end up giving their head coach an extension. The program's sort of going to be stuck with Wayne Tinkle because I don't think that they're going to be able to do the buyout, but they're going to be really bad once again in a conference that's going to have a few bad teams because California has little talent. Washington, you know, they added some pieces, but they're starting from that to bottom. And Utah as well, team that's struggling as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the Beavers can do, but not looking good, and it's pretty bad news considering that there's nothing left in the portal for them to try to even get to replace them. And Oregon State
1: is a really unique case because the way that Oregon State was able to build up success is that it was a whole bunch of assistant coaches-slash- coach's sons that wanted to commit to them that led to that successful Elite Eight run. I believe that Trey Senko was a year out of college, but he was able to sort of build a little bit of foundation when they wanted up going to the NCAA tournament the first time. And do you think that there could sometimes wind up being just overall a little bit of a lagging effect from a big run from this that you don't expect from a team like at Oregon State? Because Oregon State, I'm sure that they are very happy about that Elite Eight run. They would trade a lot for it, but now I feel like they're paying the consequences because, well, they had to pay their coach. They were in a position where they thought that some of the returning talent, even though they were losing some of those big pieces, they'd be able to step up. They clearly were not able to. And Can sometimes a team making a run like this actually be a little bit of a detriment for the next few years? Because even though it helps with regards to recruiting, now we're seeing the coaching staff get a little bit complacent with some of those guys that helped with that run. And clearly they just weren't able to wind up helping the team out as much. And they just have not been able to do anything in terms of the transfer portal or recruiting.
9: That's the problem that Oregon state has that the elite eight run didn't really do much. Like if you're going to, you know, get that much national press and that much attention, you're kind of hoping that it'll help you in the portal that didn't happen for them. They didn't really land any talent that offseason. So when you lost the key players, they did and didn't replace them then as expected, you were going to take a step back. And realistically, they weren't an Elite team. They actually had to get there via an the auto bid because they weren't even in that large contender. So they weren't really a good team to begin with, lost their best players, took the step back, but in a step back from being not good to begin with was the result it was. And now they're really struggling because you're not going to get many players to come there. And in the era of the portal, the good players that you do have there can easily just leave in the offseason they're kind of stuck in a cycle where they're going to have to hope that they can get multiple players to break out and sort of become that large team and at least make the case that they're building something otherwise it's going to be a bunch of one and done guys that will just come there and leave they go somewhere else looking at the coaching staff yeah maybe Wang Tinkle isn't the guy for them but who's necessarily going to be clamoring to go there could you get a couple of high profile names from the WCC potentially go there like Washington State did with Kyle Smith, maybe. But the program's going to be in trouble for a while. And I'm not sure if there's anything they can do about it other than just eat it the next couple of years until the buyout becomes attainable.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a rough one for the folks in Corvallis. And they had dealt with a lot of, shall we say, failures since they wound up going to the NCAA tournament. I think with A.C. Green many years ago and Gary Payton. His son wanted being able to help them out from there and they wanted to make it the 2016 NCAA tournament. But man, now it looks like it's going to be a rough state of affairs for Oregon State the next few seasons as. Tristan Freeman does a great job over at Boston Brackets. is joining me on the podcast. And speaking of a team that wanted making a surprise elite eight run a few years ago, but has not experienced quite that fall that day. Now, obviously, when it comes to that elite eight run, that was one in which was a little bit more shot out of a cannon, and who knows how they would have been able to maximize that in 2020 because they were most likely going to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. You feel? I mean, worse for Dayton as to what what wound up happening in that 2020 season. But now here they are, and many people are thinking that perhaps they deserve a little top 25, top 30 buzz. I know that a few weeks ago you wound up having a debate out there in the Atlantic 10, more specifically in St. Louis versus Dayton as to who should be the favorites out there in the Atlantic 10. But I think that the Atlantic 10 as a whole, it is set up for quite a bit of success with the two teams that you wound up debating Dayton and St. Louis being really at the forefront of it.
9: Yeah, in the A10 typically is a team that has five or six you know, really solid teams and two to three NCAA tournament contenders. I think based on the overall talent St. Louis has, and plus Dayton bringing everyone back, from what kind of should have been a tournament team had they avoided those bad losses, they're sort of going to be the leaders. But VCU is a team that has plenty of talent left by any spot when they're going to be in the mix. Bringing in lawyer Chicago, even though they have a new roster, their program's history says that they're going to come right into the mix and be good and don't forget a team like Davidson you know they didn't lose their two two or three best players but their offensive system is still going to remain potent and they're going to get a lot of wins I think this is going to be a conference that you could see upwards to four teams potentially being at least the NIT mix and then potentially even more but I think two bids should be likely for the league assuming the preseason favorites do what they're supposed to which isn't a guarantee because the a 10 in the past four or five years, have seen their preseason favorites struggle. And it's the teams that are projected to finish between four and seven are the ones that end up breaking out. So it could be a case this year, but but I have a feeling that the talent gap with Dayton and, and St. Louis is going to be too much for the rest of them to overcome, and they should finish one and two. The question will be, who's the best team in the league when it's all said and done?
1: And let's dive into that question right about now because I do think that it is interesting. Dayton was absolutely amazing on defense. I felt like they could have used just a little bit more offense, but they had a bunch of young players last year. Meanwhile, St. Louis, they weren't able to live up to sort of the preseason hype that we wound up having around them, but they bring back Avery Collins. If he's able to reduce the turnovers a little bit, that would be important, and you know what's good for being able to reduce turnovers? A good guard alongside of you as Javate Perkins, who was the top scorer for the team two seasons ago where they nearly made the NCAA tournament. He's back after he wound up suffering a debilitating injury last offseason. Now, you have your question marks as to how he's going to be able to respond from the injury, but I take a look at this debate between Dayton and St. Louis. I personally would default to St. Louis just a little bit here, but I could see both of these teams when it's all said and done being potentially in the top
9: 25. Yeah, I mean, last season, Dayton was literally the youngest team in terms of experience in the country, and they still ended up with 24 wins and was the first team out of the NCAA tournament, according to a selection committee. So if you assume guys like De'Aaron Holmes and Malachi Smith have their expected sophomore breakout campaigns, they should absolutely be better. I think St. Louis, they have a higher ceiling, because you bring back the nation's leading passer in Gary Collins, you have one of the best pure shooters in the country in Gibson Jimerson, a guy in Javante Perkins that can go for 20 any given night. You have a backcourt when it comes to overall depth off the bench. You have Javon Pickett, who was a starter in Missouri, Fred Thatch, and Terrence Hargrove, who are two of the better role players slash blue guys in the country. And And I think they just had a ton of depth and a ton of potential that could allow their offense to flourish in a way that could get them some huge non-conference wins, and go through the 8-10 without suffering one of those bad losses that tend to come against a lower level of the league that sort of trips up some of the bubble contenders.
1: I think that it's going to be really interesting to take a look at the Atlantic 10 this season because even a team like a Richmond that was able to surprise them, we always wind up seeing some of these teams during the conference tournament, they wind up being able to creep up, they wind up being able to have some good results they're ones to be able to take a look at as well as joining me on the podcast. We do have Tristan Freeman because I do think that the middle of the MIAC. 10, to your point, with teams like Loyola Chicago joining in the full Davidson with the coaching regime change, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for them, but I still think that they're relatively solid. I think that it's going to be a good year overall for them. But when it comes to the landscape of college basketball, I think that we both be in agreement. The MIAC 10, they've got a couple sleepers to take a look at, but just as you've been doing your evaluations this offseason, I know that you've been doing some great ones. Has there been a team or two that has been standing out over the last month, maybe two months now that a lot of the dust has settled in the transfer portal that now you look at them a little bit more now that we have a little bit more of a crystallized roster and you think, man, this is a team that towards the beginning of the offseason I didn't know about them, but now that I've taken a second look, I feel a little better
9: about them. Yeah, and there's two of them in the SEC now. Like I think a lot of people look at Arkansas, Kentucky, and and Tennessee as sort of the leaders. But I can make a case that both Alabama and Auburn are right up there with them. You look at Alabama, they won't have Javon Quinterly to SEC play, but I could argue that they won't really need them as much because you look at Ohio transfer Mark Sears, who's an outstanding combo guard, can shoot, as well as being a passer and five-star point guard Jaden Bradley who is completely flying under the radar compared to his fellow freshman, Brandon Miller. He's someone that can absolutely play the point guard role out the gate. You have say Bonaventure transfer Dom Welch, who's a typical 3 and D guy, and look for Charles Petiaco to center to have that breakout year. Usually the big men that come in rather raw, who doesn't have a clear offensive game, it takes them a while to get it going, but he has the potential Not necessarily have a gear like Mark Williams of Duke did did last year, but it could be something similar. And if he does that, especially on a defensive end, then Alabama's Final Four aspirations. And then you look at Auburn, you know, they bring back two double-digit guards and KD Johnson and Wendell Green, who are maybe inefficient, but I think that they'll improve on that. And look for Wings. You know, a healthy Allen Flanagan and freshman Chance West Street not necessarily fully replace the production that Jabari Smith did, but can come close at the wing position. And Johan Traore and Johnny Bruin was going to be one of the better defensive front courts in the country. I think Auburn has plenty of depth, and I think their defense is going to be really good next year. Those two teams, I think, don't get talked about as true SEC contenders, but don't be surprised if they're in the mix, at least from a stand-ins position, midway or even towards the end of league play.
1: And it's going to be a very, very tough SEC this season. You do have a lot of new coaches, but at the same time, I think that Alabama is going to be a little bit more consistent this season, and then you've got, obviously, teams like Tennessee, Kentucky. You're able to go down the line. So, I do think that Auburn has a chance to be relatively solid. I completely agree with you on G&I Broom. He showed through in that Ford trip that Auburn wound up taking that he is going to be able to be a big-time contributor for this team, just like you're a big-time contributor when you wind up during this podcast, Tristan. You do amazing work over there at Fanside It's coverage of college basketball, better known as Boston Brackets, and I know that you're doing a great job getting set for the upcoming college basketball season. So, well, the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and everything that you've got going on in general.
9: Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Hoopsnut351. Same thing as the Bustin' Brackets handle as well as the site overall. Type Bustin' Brackets and you'll see the main site and everything we're doing. And it's preview season, so I just came out with my top 25 or preseason power rankings that you can see on the site, and I'm working on the ACC and Pac-12 as we speak. Tristan, doing amazing work getting set
1: for the upcoming college basketball season. For those that are fans of teams in the more Pennsylvania state and specifically Pittsburgh area, Tristan, he does a great job on that front, does a great job being able to cover the game nationally, and it is always a pleasure to get him on the podcast. Big thanks to Tristan for joining me right here on Coast Go Soup, so I'm part of the and Family Podcast coming up next. We have seen a little bit of player movement and a few things that are noteworthy in college basketball over the last 48 hours, so we are going to be recapping those guys
6: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It not my That's
6: my, game, my- bro. <laughs> <laughs>
4: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota let's go places.
1: And we're back here lucky Las Vegas for Christmas with myself D. Spears and now part of the Beast Family Podcast always a pleasure to get Tristan Freeman of busting Brackets aboard. He does amazing work covering the game of college basketball all 12 months of the year. It is always a pleasure to get him aboard and he's doing great work getting set for the upcoming college basketball season. So, appreciate him joining me today. A big thanks to our good friend Tristan. Now it is that time podcast to give you a little bit of a recap as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball really over the last 48 hours. Cut it a little bit shorter yesterday since I was doing the Greg Peterson experience, but we did wind up seeing a couple of smaller moves wind up happening with guys transferring and guys for the most part going down to the non-D1 level. We did wind up seeing one D1 to D1 transfer. That'd be Mikey Frazier. Frazier, he just did not wind up playing a like a lot last season over at Utah Tech. Better known as 60 State. Six points and 2.3 rebounds per game, but he only wanted up playing in like three games in total for them. Someone who has made the rounds, I believe that he wanted up beginning his career at Boise State, but he is now going to be heading over to Cal Baptist. Rich just wind up getting richer with this one for Cal Baptist. They've been able to do a very solid job. They'll be able to fortify themselves down low. They wind up bringing in Hunter Goodrich. They did wind up losing Daniel Aiken from last season, but I take a look at this Cal Baptist team. They're going to be highly competitive out there in the whack. This season, with bringing back just the Armstrong brothers in general, Riley Patton is someone that's six foot nine, that's able to pop three. So this is going to be a very, very good team. Oh yeah, Timmy Ogahovi, he winds coming in from Georgetown. He's a seven footer, so look out for the Scal Baptist team. They just wound up getting another nice acquisition and. Well, on top of what we wanted up seeing with Warworth Altice, and I'll get to him in a second, you did wind up seeing Isaiah Johnson of Oregon State. He decided that he was going to be entering into the transfer portal as well. Very sparingly used guy. He only averaged right around one point per game last season, but losing Warworth Altice was decided that he's going to be going pro. That hurts a team that they have got no backcourt to speak of. He was able to average nine points, right around five rebounds per game last season when they made the NCAA tournament in the Elite Eight, nine and a half points, 1.4 blocks, 8.5 rebounds per contest. Not a guy that was going to go out there on pop threes, but certainly a nice post presence for Oregon State to have. Now he's out of the fold, so that is not necessarily too terrific for them. We did wind up seeing a pair of guys that were at the non-D1 level, but are on teams that are now up at the D1 level in Karius Key from Texas A&M Commerce and Miles Bleu from Southern Indiana decide that they are going to be going and just pretty much staying at the D2 level with Bleu going to Davenport and Key going to Tiffin College. Neither of these guys officially wound up playing at the D one level, so you really don't have to do much for your handicap. You just wanna note that when you're projecting these teams, going from the non D one level to the D one level, assign Dioff. He's a seven foot two gentleman that began his career at Fresno State. It was that RSP last year, just did not wind up warranting any playing time whatsoever. He has decided that he's gonna be playing for D two Davenport as well, which you may recall D two Davenport actually knocked off Grand Canyon in a game like two or so years ago, so they actually are a relatively solid D two school, but still, guy that's going down to the ninety one level, so very easy for a handicap. All you need to know is that he's no longer in the full cross off your list and move on. Longwood's Ja La-Kerry Count he has decided that he's going to be going to College of Southern Idaho, going down to the junior college level, hopes to resurface with a D one team in a year or two, and then you saw Matt Gary who was at. UConn last season. He's going down to the junior college level. He's going to be playing for Endicott College. I have to assume that he was a walk-on one playing 12 games in total. Average 0.2 points per game for his career. You wish Mr. Gary well, but not necessarily a big loss there. And I notice that there's going to be more and more guys that commit to these 91 schools because over 40% of guys that entered in the transfer portal, nearly 1,800 in total have yet to decide where they're going to be going in terms of a school and playing college basketball. And as we know, Some of these guys, they're going to be going pro in something other than sports. But we go pro in trying to be able to make you guys money. More conference previews are coming your way. I plan on doing the SoCon tomorrow. Probably not going to have a guest for it, but I plan on doing the SoCon tomorrow. The Sun Belt and the SWAC should be coming soon, as well as the WAC as well. So, if you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what I have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to find those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind, letters C M they mean does not matter. As per usual, please send these into the timeline. The other way it is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated from there. able Fire, and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. News and notes of college basketball, coupled with conference previews. Those are in the offseason. Then, once we get in season picks and analysis on every single game, every single day. Big thanks once again to Tristan Freeman of Boston Brackets for joining me in the last segment. And I will come at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B E T T E R H E L P dot
6: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.